0: All right, good morning to you. Keeping a close eye on the race for the White House this morning, the counting continues. The race is close in four key battleground states. Joe Biden continues to lead in Arizona and Nevada, expecting more votes to be counted there today. If he wins those ones, Biden can start measuring for new curtains in the Oval Office because that would be curtains for Donald Trump. That would put Biden over the top in the Electoral College watching those states real closely for you the other key races pennsylvania and georgia trump leading there but biden catching up trump has unleashed his lawyers as threatened he's filed lawsuits all over these key states trying to stop the vote count trying to disqualify ballots we're watching all of that very closely for you. Taking a look at Trump's tweets this morning. He is alleging voter fraud. He's alleging fraud by the state governments here in running these elections. He says we will win. He has unleashed his lawyers. That's Trump's uh, tweet. Just a few moments. Oh, go. Okay. We're watching all of this very closely for you. Keep it locked here all morning for continuing coverage. But right now, let's go live to the heart of the action here, Washington, D.C., and speak to my guest, Dr. Keith Martin. He's a former BCMP. He's currently the executive director of the Consortium for Universities for Global Health based in Washington, D.C. I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Dr. Martin, how are you? I'm fine, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's nice It's nice to talk to you again. It's, it's been a while. You, you've got uh, a front row seat to history there in Washington, D.C. Are you very close to the White House right now? I am, Mike.
1: I walk out of my office 50 meters, look down the street, and I'm staring right at the White House, which is about a kilometer away, right through Black Lives Matter Plaza, where you have about a couple hundred people milling about, and uh, as they have been for months, uh, more people now, obviously, but this is where a lot is taking place, and I'm sure a lot more people will be down here uh, in the days ahead
0: what's the mood like there in washington d c are people on edge? How would you describe it well the if you imagine the the buildings here, many of them are boarded up, so I
1: think people are certainly have been hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst and while i mean I've been through my office here, right around the corner, we've had protests with thousands of people. They've all been very peaceful. And what I think some people have seen on the television, those uh, vandals that have taken, vandalism that's taken place, has really happened by a very small number of criminals that have absolutely nothing to do with the Black Lives Matter movement or any of the protests that have been taking place here, which are really for inclusion and peace and for security for everybody.
0: Speaking of Dr. Keith Martin, he's a former MP from British Columbia. He's now based in Washington D.C. This has been such a wild election here. Let me play this for you. This is Donald Trump on election night. We haven't heard a lot of Trump since he since he made these comments on election night, where he effectively declared victory in this uh, campaign. But here's Trump on election night, and I want to get your I want to get your reaction to this, Dr. Martin. Here's Trump.
2: We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. This This is a major fraud in our nation. We want the law to be used in a proper manner. So we'll be going to the US Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop. We don't want them to find any ballots at 4 o'clock in the morning and add them to the list,
0: Okay. Okay, it's uh, Trump on election night. Of course, he's unleashed his lawyers. There are lawsuits being filed in all of these key battleground states by Trump's legal team right now. So, uh, Keith Martin, when you when you heard Trump make those comments on election night, and a lot of this had been predicted, a lot of people said he would declare victory no matter what, uh, dispute the results if it did show he was behind. But you know, from your perspective on the front row seat there in Washington, what went through your mind when you heard Trump say that? I mean, it was it was frightening. It was frightening, Mike, because in essence, what
1: President Trump is saying is he's saying that they need to disenfranchise the millions of Americans that have voted legally and not include those votes, which is a complete violation of, of democracy and for having a an effective and uh, responsive and uh, accountable election. And that's what most Americans, regardless of political stripe, fear. They fear that an election has, has you know could be um, undermined in some way, but president trump as the as the president of the United States essentially undermining a legal process and trying to undermine uh, a legal election that's going forward and disenfranchising millions of Americans who have voted is bracing and is really unprecedented uh, in anybody's memory no, no nobody can think of any other president that's ever done that.
0: Okay, well we'll see what happens with these lawsuits that Trump has filed. The Biden campaign is now trying to raise money to defend these lawsuits against the Trump legal team. Speaking of Biden, let me let me play this here for you Keith. This is Joe Biden. Yesterday, he has not declared victory un- unlike Trump, but here is Biden, and here's what he said.
2: Power can't be taken or asserted. It flows from the people. And is their will that determines who'll be the president of the United States and their will alone and now after a long night of counting it's clear that we're winning enough states to reach 270 electoral votes needed to win the presidency i'm not here to declare that we've won but i am here to report when the count is finished we believe we will be the winners
0: Okay, not declaring victory, but he believes he is going to win and may, probably will. I mean, if you take a look at the trends here right now, it's not over yet. There's still counting votes here, but he is leading in those key states to get him over the top. Very different tone there, Keith Martin, between what you heard from Trump and what you heard from Joe Biden. Like, What is what is Biden's challenge here? If he does end up uh, sitting in that office down the street from you right now, What do we, what will be the main challenge here for Biden in trying to kind of heal the divisions in the country right now?
1: Well he has a laundry list of challenges, Mike. In fact he, his list is, is a is a is a list of is a horror list of of uh challenges that he has, probably the most challenging uh list of to dos that anybody has had in ascending to the presidency since World War Two. So he has a pandemic, number one, which by the way, yesterday over sixteen hundred Americans died and they had the highest number of people uh infected, over a hundred thousand that has ever happened since the pandemic started earlier this year. Uh, He's got racial unrest. He's got economic devastation. He's got damaged trust uh, internally. So there's there's been an assault on trust and also faith in public institutions, including the department of justice uh, and others. So he's, this country is actually so deeply divided and has become more deeply divided in the eight years that I've been here. So Uh, you know, Mr. Biden will have a very long list and a very difficult, very difficult challenges to deal with. And it's going to take many, many years to, to actually resolve some of them. But the pandemic has got to be number one. And the economy has to be obviously dealt with along with racial unrest.
0: Why do you think Trump did as well as he did? I mean, it looks like he's going to lose here. But He's, he once again outperformed the predictions by the pollsters in a lot of these states. A lot of these states were supposed to go handily to Biden and Trump won a lot of them um, and he's very competitive in all of them. he's got you know he still has his, his base despite everything despite being impeached, despite the pandemic uh, despite the the racial unrest that you' described, uh, despite his own personal job approval rating being in in the 40s, why does Trump continue to get so much support do you think? You know, Mike, that is an excellent question. In fact, not only you see this that
1: nothing has really changed at the the presidential election, but if you look down to the states at the legislatures, this has been the smallest change in at the legislative level since 19. Since uh, I think you know for decades and decades. Right. So. Nothing has changed across the world. There's been no big change at the Senate. In fact, the Republicans picked up seats uh, in the House. And it's uh, split down the middle right now, pretty much between uh, Mr. Trump and Mr. Biden. So part of of it is that we've seen the people who voted for Trump, despite all of the other things that he has been doing, people said, we're going to vote for this guy because this guy is for us. In fact, if you look at what the interests are, for those who vote Republican, it's I want to make money, and they think Mr. Trump is the one to do that. And for those who vote for Democrats, they want the pandemic dealt with, they want social justice, they want equity. So there's a huge difference between those. But I'll tell you, when I travel into the red states, if you will, and you listen to what the messages that people receive, it's an entirely different planet in terms of the messages that people receive who live there, vastly different from the blue states. So you see that there's this this massive divide in terms of people's political interests, but there's also a massive uh, division in terms of the the communication and the messages that they're getting. And they're not cross-pollinating. People do not listen to each other. They don't understand each other. And they're not listening to the messages that each other are receiving to try to figure out how to understand each other. So hence you've got a country that's become even more divided as time has passed.
0: Yeah, it's a bitterly divided country. If Biden does end up winning this, I agree with you. He's got a big job on his hands going forward here. Dr. Keith Martin, thank you for being my guest on the show today. Thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate it all right welcome back to the show let's talk around the about the rules around mandatory face masks now during this pandemic now everybody knows if you get on a bus or sky train you must be wearing a mask it's mandatory there are some medical exemptions available there but it's mandatory you've got a mask up while you're on transit how about bc ferries yeah same rule there you must put on the mask when you get on bc ferries interesting rules for first responders too how about paramedics yeah they're required to wear a mask if they're when they're on the job and dealing with the public in vancouver firefighters dealing with the public they're expected to put on a mask as well what about police officers now should they wear a face mask while they're on the job and dealing with the public now according to the rcmp in british columbia Uh, The rule is it's optional for an RCMP officer to have to wear a face mask while dealing with the public. Uh, This came after uh, there was a complaint lodged with the RCMP that an officer was investigating a case of someone leaving the scene of an accident, went to interview a witness at a home, came into the home. No face mask. No face mask on the police officer. The people complained. The explanation, it's optional. It's optional for a police officer to wear a face mask on the job. What should the rule be? Do you think police officers should be required to wear a face mask on the job? All right, let's find out what the rule is now in Vancouver. My guest is Constable Tanya Visintin. She's a, a media spokesperson for the Vancouver Police Department. Constable, thanks for coming on.
3: Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me.
0: Appreciate it a lot. What is the rule in Vancouver for police officers with on face masks?
3: So we do have guidelines here that the department has set out regarding uh, personal protective equipment. So um, all our frontline members have appropriate use of or appropriate PPE, including masks, gloves and uh, respiratory masks. Our officers are asked to use the equipment when, when it's operationally feasible and they cannot practice social distancing.
0: Okay, so they're required to put the mask on when, like, how do you define that operationally feasible? What does that mean?
3: Well, it's a little different uh, as a police officer compared to fire or um, being a paramedic. And just in the sense that sometimes when fire and paramedics get a call, they know what they're going to. Sometimes um, as the police, we could be uh, just walking by somebody or, you know, there's a lot of hypothetical walking by somebody and we're walking you know, just down the street. And then obviously we see, we see something and then we have to respond and and you know what I mean? So it's, that's what operationally feasible means when you mean like there might, there might not,
0: there might not be time to mask up if you're responding to an emergency.
3: I mean, there could be, there could not be, it's just, it's one of those gray areas, but um, we do have guidelines set out here and um, you know, our approach is one that's been advised by our medical experts. And our advice to officers continues to evolve as the paramedic continues.
0: Okay. Is it voluntary for a police officer in Vancouver to put on the face mask on the job while dealing with the public? Let's say they're interviewing a witness to a crime. Would a Vancouver police officer be expected to put a face mask on during the interview?
3: You know, and with everything that's going on here, um, our officers do a a really good job at making sure that they have a mask on, especially in times like that when it's it's pre-planned that you're going to be interviewing somebody or or talking to somebody, for sure.
0: Right. Have any police officers in Vancouver caught COVID?
3: Yeah, so uh, I believe we had five officers um, Mm. since the pandemic began that um, did... uh, test positive for covid. Um from that we've had numerous officers have to self isolate and whatnot and we do have our medical ex- experts here at the department that um uh, you know investigate that and, and we follow their uh, recommendations.
0: Right. Speaking to Con- uh, Constable Tanya Visentin from the Vancouver Police Department, did those police officers uh catch the virus on the job or did that or did do we know or do you know?
3: You know, I don't have specifics yeah. uh, on on how they caught it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. The, what about, let's say a cop is, uh, breaking up a fight outside a bar or something like that. I mean, that's a kind of a tricky situation. Would they ex- be expected to have a face mask on in that situation?
3: You know, it's, it's hard to speculate. I don't want to speak in, in hypothetical terms. In a perfect world, yes, we should all be wearing masks. Um, but again, I can't I can't speak in, in hypothetical terms. All I know is that we, we have all the PPE on hand here. And wh- like I said, when it's operationally feasible, we will definitely throw on that mask.
0: Right. Have you, have the, has the Vancouver Police Department received any complaints about officers not masking up? I mean, we hear this story about the RCMP has received some complaints, and the RCMP say, well, it's voluntary for each individual officer. Uh, mm-hmm. As far that, as
3: I know, we haven't had any complaints.
0: Right. So it sounds like it's a different set of rules then for the Vancouver Police Department compared to the RCMP. Like, it's not voluntary for the, for the VPD, right?
3: Well, I can't, I can't speak for the Mounties, obviously, but um, I know here, like I said, we, we have these guidelines that the department has laid out, and, and we have all the equipment uh, ready to go.
0: Right, and and they're expect they're expected to wear the face mask where it's operationally feasible. For sure, that's correct. Right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Thanks for coming on.
3: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having I, me.
0: I appreciate it. That's Constable Tanya Visitant. All right, welcome back. Let's talk about the COVID-19 pandemic now and its impact on your personal finances. A lot of people struggling through the pandemic. Some people lost their jobs. Others have had their hours cut at work. Millions of Canadians, including many people here in British Columbia, forced to rely on government assistance and other programs. Check this out, some of these numbers in a recent poll from the Angus Reid Institute. Uh, in British Columbia, people who have relied on income support programs during the pandemic 24 Four percent of British Columbians. Wow, eight percent of British Columbians have sought payment deferrals on mortgages and loans. Borrowing nine percent of British Columbians have had to borrow money through whether through family loans, bank loans, or racking up their credit cards. A lot of people struggling through the COVID nineteen pandemic. How many people have a plan to get through this thing when it's finally over? Well, that same Angus Reed study says thirty-nine percent of Canadians don't know what they're going to do. When public assistance programs run out, one of the key ones, the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit, the CERB, people have been relying on that. Do you have a plan when that program goes away? Let's talk about all these issues now with my guest, Scott Hanna. He is the president and CEO of the Credit Counseling Society. I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Hiya, Scott. Good morning, Mike. Thanks a lot for coming on. When you talk to your your, uh, clients, a lot of people struggling through this pandemic...
2: Certainly right now there's just a a tremendous amount of uncertainty in terms of what do I do next? Because for many people who perhaps are unemployed at this point in time, either themselves or their spouse, they're not sure. And they're not sure what step to take other than many have contacted their creditors, have worked out a deferral uh, program, but many don't fully understand the fact that while their creditors may defer payments, the interest hasn't gone away. It's being tacked on to the end, and they're going to have to address that at one point in time.
0: Okay. How does that work? Like, let's say people who have got that deferment. I've heard from people who have been unable to get a deferment. If they've gone to their bank or whatever and said, Hey, can you give me a break in my mortgage? Sometimes they get an, they get a no, no, you know, you've got too much money or you got too much equity in your home. Forget about it. But some people have been able to get deferments on their payments and on their debts. How long does that last for typically?
2: I mean, initially, um, <clears throat> there was a six-month deferral. They were looking at it, but quite frankly, at this stage of the game, now that we're six months into this pandemic, it's done on a month-to-month basis. So creditors are now looking at, let's review your circumstances more frequently with a view to getting you back on track. And, but I also believe that creditors are being cautious because they don't want to push consumers over the edge and push them into bankruptcy or insolvency because they're taking a hard line. And it's important that consumers know that uh, if you were up on top of your payments prior to this pandemic, a good customer, uh, always maintained their obligations, you're still a good customer. You're just experiencing financial difficulty. And by maintaining that contact with your creditors, Even if you're speaking with someone perhaps who isn't being as as sensitive as they could be, it's important that you do that and follow through on what you can do as opposed to what you can't do.
0: Right. Speaking of Scott Hanna from the Credit Counseling Society, what about your credit rating? Like, let's say you go to your bank, you talk to your mortgage advisor, you say, look, I lost my job. Can you give me a break on my mortgage for a few months? Does Does that go on your record? Does that affect your credit rating? You know, initially, that was
2: not going to have an impact on a person's credit rating. Yeah. Um, however, at this stage of the game, it will start to have an impact. But it's also important to realize, too, that um, you know, as consumers work through this issue, work through being unemployed to to, getting, to regaining employment down the road, that why your credit report may reflect that you were in arrears and now making payments again to, res, uh, to bring your account up to date, that the further you get away from that negative information, the less impact it has on you. But I suspect as, as we go into the future and you're looking to perhaps regain and reborrow funds in the future, get a new mortgage down the road, that uh, if your difficulties were due to the pandemic, and prior to that time you didn't have any problems, and since regaining employment, you've, been, you've brought your accounts up to date. I don't think creditors overall are going to look upon this the same way as it would with a customer perhaps who just wasn't managing responsibly, and that's what caused their financial difficulty.
0: Okay, what's going on with the CERB? Is that running out now? Yes, it is, but really,
2: you know, I'm not wanting to be political about this, but I think our, our government has made a decision to to transition people from a CERB to an enhanced EI program. Right. The, and while the, it's beneficial in many ways to consumers who um, aren't able to manage their affairs, in some cases, all it does is prolong the inevitable, but when those consumers need to address their financial circumstances. So yeah. if they've been able to negotiate deferrals with the creditors, are receiving uh, <clears throat> the EI program now, it means that they've got a period of time just to wait. And, and that's the worst thing consumers can do. The best thing consumers can do right now is to look at their options. What are the, implica- what are the long-term implications for my situation? What do I need to do right now to help address the situation so I can come out of this to the best of my my ability when the implications of the pandemic start to ease?
0: Speaking to Scott Hanna, he's the president of the credit counseling society. Scott, what about, I know that when you help people who are in over their head in debt, one of those the big problems is people have racked up those, those credit card debts and i remember when i when i was a younger guy and i was a, a little less smart about man, managing my finances i remember getting a, a little bit over my head in credit card debt too and it was just brutal the 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 interest rates that they would charge you I finally kind of wised up and smartened up and realized how much i was paying in those interest interest charges when Do you find that more and more people are, are getting in trouble in credit cards, credit card debt during this pandemic?
2: Certainly, uh, we've seen a yeah. that, that, uh, higher spike in, in people are utilizing credit cards. And with, with many consumers um, being more or less shut in, um, yeah. accessing purchasing items online, they're using credit cards for that purpose. And not fully understanding the impact of that. And so focusing on, yes, I can maintain the minimum payment required, but the reality is, you now the minimum payment required today on our credit cards pays off the interest and barely touches the principal. Yeah, so it means yeah. that you're just staying in debt for a long period of time and those great deals that you thought you were getting, when you tack on the interest on top of that, it's, it's not a great deal. You're paying oh, a lot of money. No. For many people, it's that credit card debt that puts them over the edge because they never seem to be get rid of those balances. So it's important that individual's, balance their budget so they're able to maintain all their monthly expenses without going further into debt and right. really using credit cards carefully. They were never meant to carry a balance. They are no. meant for safety and convenience, but right. not for long-term debt.
0: Right. No, the credit card lo- companies love it when you pay that minimum payment. You know, it's always hilarious to look at your credit card statement. let uh, say you owe 1000 bucks in your credit card or something, and the minimum payment is like $10. They want you to pay the $10. They don't want you to pay it off, right? They want to keep racking up those interest charges.
2: Well, that's why our federal government mandated credit card issuers to put a statement on their, to put a section on their statement outlining how long it will take to pay off the balance if the customer is only maintaining the minimum monthly payment required. And it's shocking that in many cases it takes decades. Unless you're paying a larger payment. You could be yeah. stuck to one of those individuals paying and paying for decades.
0: Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. You got to pay off those balances if, if you can. Okay. Do most people in your experience have a plan to get out of this? Especially during the COVID nineteen pandemic, maybe they've been relying on the CERB. CERB is running out. Transitioning to an enhanced EI plan, as you mentioned. Or maybe people are thinking, "Well, I'm I'm okay on on SERB or whatever." Do they have a plan to get beyond this, most people, when the CERB runs out?
2: No, they don't. Yeah. I think that when the uh, pandemic first hit us, there was panic. And now that we're going through a second wave, that panic's been restored again. And I recall, uh, Mike, that you know, back in, in April, when going out for a walk with my wife, um, we were all social distancing, moving away off, going onto the road, a person's coming on the sidewalk. And then that went away. And now that's back again. Now we have masks. And you're certainly seeing that heightened stress uh, amongst consumers. And when you're under a lot of stress, you don't make good decisions. You're really focusing on the day-to-day. You're not looking beyond that. So we see people who really don't have a concrete plan as to what do I do from here? How do I minimize the impact uh, on my situation? What are the best steps to take yeah. for the future? That isn't being done. At the same time... While people have reduced their expenditures, not enough consumers are really following a tight budget, a pandemic budget. Not a normal budget, but a pandemic budget right now.
0: All right, welcome back. Taking another look at the U.S. election campaign. Been keeping a close eye on this for you all morning with the counting still continuing in those four key states. Now, Joe Biden continuing to lead in Nevada And also in Arizona, expecting some more results coming in there. Uh, If he wins those two seats, or those two states, it's all over. Meanwhile, in Pennsylvania, now Trump still leading in Pennsylvania, getting closer, though. Now, this is interesting. The uh, official state officials in Pennsylvania saying they expect to have most of those votes counted by today. That's according to the state secretary of state. Uh, it's been a slow count there in Pennsylvania, but they expect to have most of those votes tabulated by the end of today. Could Biden catch up there and beat Trump in Pennsylvania? It'd be all over if he does that. Lots of uh, electoral college votes up for grabs are 20 of them in Pennsylvania. That would put Biden way over the top here if he wins that. Georgia, Trump also leading there, getting tighter. But 98% of the vote in, and uh, Trump still has a lead there. But even if Trump pulls it off there, you know, he's still got to reverse those other states here where Biden's in the lead in Nevada and Arizona. So tr- Biden in the driver's seat for sure, still counting votes, but uh, his people seeming very confident. Meanwhile, Donald Trump has unleashed his lawyers. So he's got lawsuits going everywhere just but all of these key states Uh, Trump's lawyers are in court uh, trying to stop the vote, stop the count, overturn some ballots, all kinds of legal strategies being tried here. Trump has had a little bit of success here in in Pennsylvania. Uh, Trump's lawyers were able to convince a judge to allow uh, Republican observers to sit closer to the ballot count to observe. So Trump, Trump exclaiming that's a big victory in court for him in Pennsylvania. But now that's been appealed to the state Supreme Court here to try and overturn that. So, you know, here's one of the things I'm wondering about. These lawsuits by Donald Trump, do any of them have any chance of success? Can he, can he somehow legally hang on to the White House here, given everything that we're seeing? All right. Let's check in with my guest now, Professor Matthew Lebo. He's a professor and department chair at the University of Western Ontario Department of Political Sciences. Book is Strategic Party Government, Why Winning Trump's Ideology. Professor Lebo, thanks for coming on. Hi. Okay, when you take a look at the uh, when you take a look at what's going on in the United States, is there any way to stop Biden here from winning the White House?
4: It looks like he's in really good shape. Um, he is ahead in two hundred seventy electoral votes worth of states right now. So all you would have to do is hold on to his lead in Nevada, hold on to his lead in Arizona. Yeah, I, got a, I got a real,
0: real, I got a real bad cell connection here with you, so. We are going to um, call you right back here. We're going to try and clean that up, and uh, we'll try and get Professor Lebo on a cleaner connection there uh, as we take a, look, a closer look at some of these uh, results that are still coming in. Taking a look in the uh, state of Nevada, Biden holding that lead. He's got 49.4% of the vote, Trump 48 Eight point five. Now that's, you know, less than a percentage point separating Trump and Biden. Could Trump overtake Biden there in Nevada? Still 11% of the votes still to come in the thing there though is a lot of those are those mail-in ballots which were skewing in favor of the republicans a lot of them coming in in urban centers notably las vegas where uh biden had been doing extremely well so it's um it appears that it trump could have a tough time even uh, making up that that small gap let's see if i got a better connection now with professor lebo hi hi sorry about that oh that sounds better okay so what, what do you think about what's going on down there yeah so but-
4: Biden is ahead in 270 electoral votes worth of states. He's got his lead in Nevada is uh, 12,000 votes, and it looks like the, the the last votes trickling in favor him. So that should hold. Right. Uh, Arizona, I'm not really sure where the outstanding votes are, and they're very very slow. But Biden is ahead by uh, 69,000 votes. So right. I'm, I'm a little less certain saying that will hold. But in Georgia and Pennsylvania, the number of outstanding votes and sort of how those are breaking as they're being counted, it sort of points to Biden being ahead and winning those as well. They'll be close. But if if they keep coming in the way they've been coming in the last day, then those would be Biden's too. And uh, that would do it. Well, he doesn't even need Pennsylvania and Georgia, but uh, he's got a lot of different ways. And it's really hard to see uh, Trump winning this, um, you know, just just uh, based on the votes
0: yeah no i mean biden certainly has got way more pathways to power here than trump that's for sure like even if he just wins the two states where he's still ahead as you mentioned in nevada and arizona then it's all over but man oh man if he catches up to trump and overtakes him in georgia and pennsylvania that puts him that puts him way over the top now what do you think about trump's strategy here unleashing his lawyers fighting these, uh, these votes in all these different states, does that have any chance at all of any kind of success for Trump, do you think?
4: Well, I, I'm not going to say it has no chance, but it's not very um, uh, well strategized. It's just sort of flailing and throwing out lawyers here and there and complaining about things. He's not like got substantive complaints that, you yeah. know, here's a ballot that shouldn't have been counted. Here's a bunch of ballots that shouldn't have been counted. He's just sort of, you know, yelling at this guy and sending lawyers to various places trying to, trying to keep things going. So it's sort of hard to see any of that paying off.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you take a look at a state like Pennsylvania, where you think maybe Biden can overtake Trump and win, which would be huge for Biden. You know, one of the complaints that Trump's campaign has is that they don't like this rule where if a, if a ballot arrives in the mail late, up to three days late after Election Day, it can still be counted as long as it's got a postmark on the envelope before election day or on election day. And Trump didn't like that. And they wanted to try and disqualify some of those late arriving ballots. I mean, I mean, even if he was able to disqualify those ballots, it can't be a huge number of ballots. I can't see how it would overturn anything or could it?
4: There there might be. And, and, you know, lots of these ballots in, in Pennsylvania, perhaps uh, would be, would be um, uh, coming in late, but, He, he wants different things to happen in different states, right. right? He wants the counting to stop in Pennsylvania and the counting to continue in Arizona yeah. so that he can catch up in Arizona and Biden can't catch up in Pennsylvania. So there's no, you know, it's just, basically it's pretty obvious to courts, you know, he just wants to make sure that all of his ballots are counted
0: Yeah.
4: and that's yeah. not really a good legal strategy.
0: No, no, it does seem a little, um, Kind of contradictory logic there. That in the states where Trump is ahead, he's saying stop the count, and in states where he's behind, keep on counting. So I guess it just depends on which state he's looking at. But what do you, what do you think Trump is up to here? I mean, I mean his lawyers are not they're not idiots. I mean they must they must be advising Trump that it's very unlikely you can overturn an entire election through these legal efforts. So is he trying to set up some kind of narrative that? If he does lose, which almost seems inevitable at this point, that he, he wants to he wants to be able to go out there and try and make an argument that it was stolen from him, or the whole thing was a fraud.
4: I think so. So yeah. you know, if he if that narrative is out there that it was stolen and it's a fraud, I guess that can do a few things for him. It, it could perhaps just make him feel better. And um, you know, if he leaves the White House, then he he can say that he didn't lose fairly, and um, perhaps that makes him and his supporters feel better. But also maybe he's. He'll try and have some states uh, switch their electoral votes. That that is one of the ways uh, in which the election could be upset. That would be totally unprecedented, but, you know, 2020 is unprecedented. But let's say that he could convince uh, the Republicans uh, in Pennsylvania that the state was stolen from him. Then perhaps the Pennsylvania state legislature would... Um, would appoint the Republican slate of electors. That's, you know, that's pretty hard to imagine working. Um, But it is sort of one of the one of the steps that's usually just a rubber stamp along the way that maybe he will try to mess around with.
0: Wow, yeah, that gets into the how that electoral college system works, which is kind of like such a weird foreign system to us as Canadians. But when people hear about that electoral college and in the state of Pennsylvania as you described, they've got twenty electoral college votes. And if whoever wins that state is supposed to get all twenty of those votes, do they do they actually have like do they do someone actually sit down and vote in the electoral college and they, they actually mark a ballot, put it in a box? How does that work? So
4: each state has two slates of electors. So Pennsylvania gets twenty electoral votes. And the Democratic Party of Pennsylvania has chosen 20 people. And the Republican Party of Pennsylvania has chosen 20 people. And the legislature will look at who Pennsylvanians voted for and choose one of those groups of 20 people. And then they will actually cast ballots in December for the Electoral College. And then those ballots go to D.C. And then they are all collected and they're all read in a joint session of Congress in January and uh then that's really the vice president who oversees that and declares a winner. So this is wow. you know always just a rubber stamp on the process, but uh there's reasons to be a little worried about it working properly this time.
0: Yeah, I mean, can you imagine a situation where Biden wins Pennsylvania but the Re- the Republican state government, I guess, or state legislators decide to send the, others, the other parties' electors to, to vote for Trump instead. Like you mentioned, that that almost sounds inconceivable. Has that ever happened?
4: No, that's never happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very, very occasionally you'll have somebody who's supposed to vote for one person and they vote for the other person. Hillary, they, Hillary Clinton had some of those uh, faithless electors. I think Donald Trump had a couple too where they right. didn't vote the way that their state would have them vote. And, um, you know, the... The courts have been tough on those cases. I should say Pennsylvania has a Democratic governor, which makes the scenario, I said, a little bit more difficult. Um, But somewhere, you know, somewhere around the country, there may be there's going to be efforts to try and get uh, electors to switch.
0: Wow. Okay. my goodness. When do you think this will all be over and we get a winner?
4: Well, over, it's going to be over several times in several different ways. So over as in, it could be today that the networks say, okay, Joe Biden has 270 electoral votes. Uh, Over, over, I'll, you know, based on the scenarios I'm talking about, I'm going to wait for inauguration day. Okay.
0: Okay. Thank you for coming on today.
4: Okay, sure.